Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So we had a couple of people join us um, since we did our opening circle. So just to invite them into the circle, Will and Victoria, we did a, just saying our names, which program we were in, and a one-sentence intention or uh, why, why you were here today. So, Will? Hi, I'm Will, um, DP2, or DPP2, and uh, my intention is to stay connected. Mm -hmm. You're in CDL also, aren't you? Oh, and CDL3. Thank you. Hi, I'm Victoria Vogel. I was in DPP3. And my intention is to remember that everything is a process. Mm. And my husband, Grant, who's in DPP4, will probably be joining us any second. Yeah. Grant Rudolph. Yeah. You Okay, so uh, we we're going to um, give you a chance to connect with each other uh, as well in a small group of three or four, um, and uh, especially in a group with people who've been practicing for for so uh, for so long. Um, one of the good things about the DPP and CDL programs is that. Uh, it, it gives it gives you a chance to see that you've got the wisdom inside of you rather than hearing it from from a teacher. Um, and uh, what we thought we would do is uh, to just have you talk about what your practice is like these days. Um, if you want to share any specifics going on in your life um, that are relevant, fine. That's that's fine, but really, what are you learning? How are you growing? What is um, how is the the Dharma informing your life and your practice and and uh, and and drawing out the wisdom in you? And even if you say it's not drawing out any wisdom in me, and I wish it could draw out some more, that's that's part of what your practice is. Seeing how. Sometimes in in reflecting and hearing it from from each other, how there's that wishing or wanting um, that it would be different than how it is. But how can you hold it, whatever your life is like, how can you hold it in the wisest possible way or whatever comes out in that little reflection, just just how how the Dharma is informing your life. What's it asking of you right now? So maybe before we do the groups, you might, uh, rather than spend your time thinking about it while other people are going around, uh, just for a moment, think about what's happening right now in your life. What your lessons are or your blessings and most important how the Dharma is informing it. What's it asking of you to wake up to? So you get in touch with the Buddha or Kuan Yin right inside. She or he is is right in there. Okay, and then, uh, so we'll... Can I say something about yeah, the form? Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Can we do it kind of in monologues? Maybe go around yeah. first and then share. Yeah. yeah. But I just wanted to invite, as we do this as a practice, as we always did in DPP, you know, that, that the actual experience as you're speaking 
is also relevant to share, that you're staying connected as you speak and perhaps including that, any nervousness or hesitation or excitement um, that you're feeling, that that gets included in the sharing. So it really is a time to practice in the moment mindfulness and and, uh, tracking of your experience. And even as you do, we'll do it in the form of a monologue where you just take it in turns. But um, we found it helpful at the last DPP especially that when someone speaks, maybe you'll take how long the first time around? A few minutes, three, four, five? Um, That after each person speaks, there's just a moment, a minute for the two or three people who are listening to just reflect back something that they heard. It's not feedback or advice, but Mm -hmm. just oh, it really touched me when you spoke about that or I related to this experience that you said or, you know, uh, that inspired me. So there's just this kind of being held as you speak Um, and then we'll go around the three or four people and then have more of a time for an open discussion. Anything that got uh, connected with as you were speaking, you can share in the group. Mm -hmm. And and I just want to underscore just what I was going to say too, particularly around advice... Um, just listening and being a witness is often w- one of the great gifts that you can give to uh, to another person. And unless the person is asking for advice, uh, to to just hold the space of a loving presence for them. And w- if it touches something in you that uh, that is that that brings something out of you that's relevant to how the mind works, not how their mind works or my mind works, but just how, how it, what it means to be human uh, for yourself, then, you know, that can be relevant, but not so much to fix anybody or put them on the right track unless they ask you for it. <laughs> okay? So... Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're Emily's if you're, asking, if you're asking, that's something else. You know, then you can get the track. Uh, but then you'll be on their track, not your track. <laughs> okay, so um, you know, maybe you have have some some people that you're that you want to connect with or whatever. If otherwise, just find a group of uh, three, three or four, and we'll take a half an hour for this. So if you uh, you want to keep track for uh, about whatever you want to say, uh, three or four minutes uh, to start and go around and then have a conversation. Do you two, Linda, do you need you, there's the two of you? Yes, yeah, so there's two. There's a few groups of four. Can someone break off from a group of four and join a two here? Thanks, Maggie. Is everyone else? Did our other friends leave? No, they're sitting. So finishing up your last uh, last words and they've got a lot to say. 
makes any sense. sense. I'd be more than happy to pull, pull it together as a volunteer project. Yeah. Did, did Ruby, was Ruby your sort of administrator, coordinator for all of the CDLs? Not the, the first one, is Martha Lai. Uh, uh, then, then Ruby. So come on back and uh, let's meet as a group. <laughs> so is this being recorded? It just doesn't have to be recorded, does it? Is this being recorded too? Is the whole thing being? Yeah, and then he'll edit out. Okay. I just can't imagine it's being. Yeah, I think that he just records the whole thing. It's really easy for him to snip it out. It doesn't take take Oh, am I? <laughs> it's me. So um, we could just uh, take a few minutes to uh, to check in, see what wisdom you are hearing and sharing and accessing uh, from your conversations. Anything that came up from that that you want to want to share? You can tell them the bumper. You can tell them Will's yeah. bumper sticker. I'm yeah. not going to say that in front of everybody. You so, we, and we have about say ten minutes. Um, so, if you just to get a few relevant comments. Yeah. That would be wrong speech. Okay. Might be our private bumper sticker. Okay. But now everybody's going to wonder. Wait. So, are we? What are we doing? Uh, sharing anything? Anything that came up from from the group that seems relevant that. Um, I'm telling him. So the 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 bumper sticker that we came up with is "Those assholes aren't using right speech." But that was the only thing. We had a few other. Well, and and also uh, besides any pearls of wisdom, what what it's like uh, <laughs> like that, uh, what 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 it's like to uh, share with each other and uh, and uh, and connect in, in the sangha. Uh, quickly, it was just wonderful to uh, talk about specific issues that are going on and relate them to the Dharma and see that uh, we're not alone, and our struggles are, are quite similar. Mm. Actually, uh, uh, mine have a little bit more drama <laughs> to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just kidding, but the, I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So you just, someone just pass it to the next person who wants to speak. That's right. Yeah, so if you could just, Zoe, do you want to just see who wants Is this? Mm-hmm. Well, I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, for me, the meaningful sharing had to do with... Um, with caring, taking care of ourselves in, on all levels and how the uh, Dharma practice is connected with that. And that was just really, that's a big thing right now for me. Well, I'm feeling very courageous because I never once took the microphone in the whole of DPP. (laughs) (laughs) By choice. Um, There were four of us that were all in DPP3 together. And I just want to say it's just the continuity of knowing each other in the ways that we have through the program. It's just really sweet to reconnect in that way. I feel very, very touched. To, to share that again mm. and um, four years. Yeah. Well. Okay. 
and I was in a group with three people I don't know at all, and um, it, it, it was sort of like the motto I came home from going to India with Sally with the DPP3 people where I came home and said, well, if you have to travel, you should always travel with Buddhists. Mm -hmm. So I just saw this comfort and shared wisdom and it felt really good being in that group too. Great. Anything, anything else? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that uh, it, it was clear to me as I came back in the room and the, the, the groups were quite engrossed in, in conversation uh, that telling you something that's not new but I think that bears, uh, bears repeating is uh, how important it is to meet with like-minded friends where you you don't even have to you know, have all the answers. It's more in, in, in the sharing and the connecting and the seeing that you're not alone and, uh, and, and to feel understood and uh, safe enough to share what's going on inside of your heart, that um, that's as healing and um, supportive of accessing your own wisdom as, as anything it's a little bit different when you're just kind of the wheels are spinning inside in your own mind and they just keep on going on, you know, uh, idle or idle chatter or whatever than when you connect with somebody else who's present for you or that you're present for them. And even being present for them has its own nourishing capacity. For if nothing else, it takes you out of your own drama and you can be in... In theirs, but uh, but 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 to feel connected in that. Yeah, yeah I, I mentioned that my intention uh, would be uh, integration today. But when I was talking here, even I was mentioned exactly this point, uh, James, that you are talking is that. For instance, in Brazil, I don't have any Buddhist friend, and I have. Uh, uh, very few that have some idea what it means to meditation, but many, most of them will say that I am crazy in wanting to be mm-hmm. a month in silence. Mm-hmm. But I just see, and, and how difficult, and how I sometimes difficult not to have that, because I do have very intimate friends that love me, mm-hmm. but there is a different quality mm-hmm. in listening. Mm-hmm. I think that's what for me is the point, that there is a different quality in listening. And when you listen to me, I integrate, I, I organize stuff mm-hmm. in myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. a huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I just felt that here, no? Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. Can I say something? <laughs> Um, because this is being taped today, I want to tell everyone in my DPP3, this is, this is Victoria, and I think of you all, all the time. I have a group picture that we took, and I look at it before our monthly meeting, and um, I just miss you all out there, if anyone's listening to this. She cares. I haven't been talking a whole lot in the last several months. And um, I was noticing how uh, good it felt to talk with uh, people in the group and to hear uh, in a language I could understand uh, because I have been speaking English a lot uh, in the last several months. And uh, I don't, uh, my Spanish is really poor, so not enough to be fluent and not enough to understand what someone else is telling me um so it's really good to hear things in english and <laughs> and and also noticing um if i can't speak a language i don't try and fix or solve a problem and there's a real strong nature of trying to fix it to solve a, a problem when i'm presented with a situation 
And I noticed with English today, I was like, oh, and trying to fix it. And I apologize for the people in my group if I jumped into that too much. But uh, it's easy when I can speak a language. And uh, that there's, I guess there's a fine line between giving feedback or reflection and trying to, solve, trying to come up with answers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I need more practice in that. <laughs> Thank you. And just to acknowledge, we have two new people who joined the group grant. And I, I, Carol. Carol, that's right. Carol, Sharp. I knew, I knew your name. Gone. We started by everyone saying their name, which group they're in, and just sharing something about why you're here today. So why don't you join the group by doing that? I'm Carol. Is it on? I've learned, I think, I hope. Um, I'm Carol. I'm in DPP4, and actually we just, we just got off retreat. And, um, well, I, I'm still in a very beautiful space. And I, I guess I'm here partly um, interested in, in connecting with um, other DPP4s and also CDL and then also the, stu- uh, the Sutta study. Hi, I'm Grant. <clears throat> I just got back from uh, Joshua Tree a week ago, so this is just keeping the top spinning is why, before it falls over into normal thoughts. And uh, wanted to be here early this morning, but was um, helping set someone up to paint our new meditation hall for the um, Cam Dharma friends. So that's growing and happening. Great. That's it. So, um, yeah, I think we're just going to have lunch now, and we're not advocating a silent lunch necessarily. If you want to be in silence, of course, you're welcome. Just find your own space. But because this is a time of connecting with old friends, um, really encourage that if you want to do that, or if you want to meet new friends. Um, so, if to use this t- as a time to practice, if you see someone who looks like they want to be connecting with you, to invite them in. You know, it's not a place of practicing exclusivity, but rather inclusivity <laughs> and uh, sharing sharing our Dharma connections with each other. So, you know, we'll take until one, at least 1.45, maybe two. How long do you want? An hour, an hour and a quarter? Less time. An hour. Less. Yeah. An hour. Yeah, okay. So one, uh, we'll be back at one forty-five, And we'll go into the study of the sutra at that point. We did ask you to bring copies of the sutra with you. For those of you that don't have it, um, I did ask Sean to print out a few extra ones. But it won't be necessary that you have a copy, but certainly would be helpful. Majima 18. I'm wondering, how many people did read the sutta? Oh, Good. Um, how sweet. <laughs> you taste the, do you taste yeah, the, the honey no, bowl? I'm, I'm thinking that you tasted the honey bowl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. And, oh, and uh, do you want to say anything about that? Oh, right. Well, just uh, um, again, as you all know, as old students, that James and I are doing this day as our practice of generosity and supporting your practice and our practice. And there will there is the opportunity to offer support if you're so motivated. The basket will be out there and be shared between James and I. And whatever you choose to give helps to keep the cycle of generosity and Dharma practice going. So much appreciated, whatever whatever you choose to give will be uh, part of that beautiful cycle of giving and receiving that we all participate in, in hearing the Dharma, sharing the Dharma, practicing the Dharma. So, thank you. Enjoy your lunch. Taste it. (laughs) How sweet it is.
clock, actually? Could you, cl- or oh, Cheryl, could you close the doors and tell anyone who's out there we're starting now? Thanks. I asked Sean to make some, so if they're left, they're on that right-hand table. So anyone who doesn't have a copy of the... Okay. There's a paper there. Is that something else? It's uh, something. So Sean's going to... How many do we, who, How many people need a copy of the sutta? No, I think we're good, Sean. Thanks. And it's not essential. We'll be able to track along. Okay, so there's nothing like waking up after, keeping you awake after lunch than a good sutta study session. (laughs) So we're going to see if we can keep this a little lively so we actually stay present, but it's a good sutta to work with uh, because of that. So uh, the theme for our study and practice this afternoon is the Madhupindika Sutta, the Honeyball Sutta. a couple of people mentioned they have a connection to it, appreciate it for a number of reasons, but I mean, it's great because it talks about what happens in our minds. And we have all lots of experience with this exact set of uh, cause and effect of how we end up in places of distress and conflict and, and dispersal. So it's a really good practice sutta. Um, because it's so well-known um, and, and famous, there are lots of good resources on it. And uh, I actually found uh, a Bhikkhu Bodhi lecture on the sutta on YouTube. Uh, his, a whole set of his lectures, you know, he's done that whole Majima series. But it's not from that. He didn't do it in that series, maybe because he did it in this other venue. I'm not sure what it was. But um, I listened to that watch that in the, over the last couple of days. So just Google or in YouTube, look for Bhikkhu Bodhi, Honeyball Sutta, and you can find it's about an hour and 20 minutes. And he li- literally does go through the sutta in a very detailed way. So some of what I, I will say, I actually picked up from him yesterday um, over the last couple of days as I listened to it. So that's a good resource. The other one is this book, Concept and Reality by uh, Nyanananda, a Sri Lankan monk. And it's kind of the... Uh, classic treatise on Papancha. Um, I also looked this up. I'm, you can see by my copy it's uh, old, uh, put out by BPS, Buddhist Publication Society, so hard to get. But I found that Wisdom is reprinting it. Uh, and they said summer of 2012. So they must have known we were doing this class and they just perhaps it would have been a month earlier. But I actually found the whole thing online. It took a little finding, it took a little searching. The, BP, the BPS thing would be online. No, 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 because the wisdom is putting it out. I found it at a website called seeingthroughthenet.net, um, and it, it didn't come up on a first search. I, had, I don't know how I found it, but anyway, seeingthroughthenet.net, and I found basically this whole text up there, but it's not BPS. So that's a great resource. And then there's also um, Vimalo, who is a teacher from many years ago, a German monk, has a great article called Awakening to the Truth. And it's, I don't know, 20,000 words or something. Um, and he hits some of the highlights of Buddha, the Buddhist teachings. And he starts with Papancha. And it's a, even though it's short, I just printed out a couple of pages where he's talking about Papancha. But he looks at some of the Pali and the different uh, ideas about the word, the word, the Pali words are being translated. So, if you want a little more detail, um, he's got a great article called "Awakening to the Truth" by Vimalo, V-I-M-A-L-O, German monk who was—he's still alive, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, but he—he he was very much in our scene. I don't know, twenty years ago, and he kind of faded a little now. But uh, he's a character, Vimalo. And then Access to Insight, that website that I always look to, um, has a lot of resources on it. There's, uh, you know, suttas. There's more suttas, obviously, than the Madhupindika that refer to Papancha. Um, so you can see those. But there's also some books and articles on it. And even the um, introduction to Tanisaro's translation, 
that is on access to Insight has a good. Some people printed it out. I didn't. I I didn't tell Sean to print it out because it would have made the printout too long. But it's worthwhile reading um, Tanisaro's introduction to this sutta, um, and there's lots of other articles too. So just recommend those resources. Um, none of them are, you know, hugely in depth. Uh, even even concept and reality is actually a, a good read. It's I haven't read. I read it years ago. I didn't actually reread it for this, but. It's, it's readable. It's not one of those kind of arcane texts. So what we thought we would do would be literally to go through the sutta and see what's happening, and I'll do that, and then James is going to talk more about how we actually practice with this, what is the Buddha talking about, and how do we bring that into our practice. So one of the reasons I like this sutta is it has a couple of little um, human element points. You know, many of the suttas have this, but this one has a few, and if you kind of sink into what's going on, I just like it when I get a feeling of the people and the place and the time in which these exchanges were happening. So, you know, it starts with Dandapani, and, you know, you have to love that name, Dandapani. It it literally means one who walks with a cane. And so you get a sense, because it doesn't, in what I've read of him, he's not particularly ailing, so it seems like a little bit of an affect. And it's interesting that dandapani, dandy, is a word we would use for someone who was kind of strutting around with their cane and maybe they'd throw their shawl over their shoulders. And so here's, and we're told he's out for a walk in a park. He's obviously not working too hard in his life. He's just strolling around. And he, he's in a couple of Atu at Nigrodas Park. And he, he's in the Sakyan country. If you remember, the Buddha is from the Sakyan cloud. He was called Sakyamuni, um, sage of the Sakyans. So this is the Buddha's home country. Um, and he's doing his usual thing of, I mean, and what's interesting, again, to pick up in, all, in many of the suttas where the Buddha does his thing of going out to arms round, getting fed. But in the afternoon, he goes to some quiet place and basically practices. You know, he's fully enlightened and he goes to uh, Nigroda's Park to just sit and walk unless someone comes and, and he has a Dharma discussion. So he's still doing that. And then Dandapani, the Sakyan, so is of the same uh, clan as the Buddha, Walking and wandering about for exercise. So this is what I mean, the sort of the dandyish nature, you know. He's just strolling here and there looking for something to do. Goes in and he sees the Buddha and he greets him, exchange greetings with him. Now, often um, there's, uh, you know, more of a, I don't know, thing about, you know, how they greeted the Buddha. But here he says, stood at one side, leaning on his stick. So again, he doesn't even sit down. It's a little discourteous. And asked the Blessed One, what does the recluse assert? What does he proclaim? And I'm using Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. If you have the printout, it'll be slightly different. Um, but this is, again, a little uncourteous that he just is leaning on his stick. He doesn't sit down. Usually they, it says he sit, the person would sit to one side. There's a sense of respect in the dialogue. He doesn't even address, you know, often they'll say Lord or Bhagawan or something. He just says, what does a recluse assert? So one thing I heard from Tanisaro Bhikkhu is the Buddha never gives a teaching randomly or in isolation. So what we can read out of this, that the Buddha responds with a teaching on not quarreling, is that Dandapani is actually questioning him in a little bit aggressive manner, a little bit disrespectful. Um, and this is, you know, not appropriate given that it's the Buddha that, that he's talking to. So the Buddha's response is immediately, um, I don't quite, you know, even he's getting this kind of, you know, who are you and what are you about kind of questioning. He says, I don't quarrel with anyone. Um, all I look at is, you know, Is a, is a way perceptions no and in my mind that perceptions no more underlie someone who's detached from sensual pleasure without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving. So it's kind of like a pith teaching. I don't quarrel. My mind doesn't go to those places. When this was said, Dandapani the Sakyan shook his head, wagged his tongue, and raised his eyebrows until his forehead was puckered into three lines. 
<laughs> now, again, on the Bhikkhu Bodhi thing, someone knew a little bit about um, Telugu, I think they called it, which was a more southern Indian, um, I don't know whether it's a, a caste or division, where that, that gesture was one of kind of skeptical contempt. I don't know about that. You know, I, you might say that, I don't believe you, I don't trust you or whatever, but there's definitely that feeling that Dandapani is uh, responding to the Buddha. It's a little, again, a little bit aggressive, a little bit contemptuous, a little bit, he doesn't get it. And the Buddha, obviously realizing that this chap probably wasn't going to get it, gave him a teaching that was pretty impenetrable. It wasn't like, oh, sit down, you know, sit down, come sit down and I'll teach you the Dharma. It's like, I don't think this is so much, you know, worth my time. So here's the basics. I'm not quarreling with you. And the chap takes the message, I think, and just gets up and leave. But the monks who are around are really curious about what do you mean? How how does one do that? How does one not quarrel with anyone in the world? How do you abide detached from sensual pleasures? And so then the Buddha gives the main teaching um, about papancha. And he starts, as to the source through which perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a man or a person. Nothing is found there to delight in. Now, this first sentence, if you read the note, 229, Bhikkhu Bodhi has a long note at the end. It's a lot about his translation both of Papancha, but also the, this um, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation is uh, papancha sanya sanka. And this three-word compound, um, there's been, again, in the different translations, some differing opinions, but Bhikkhu Bodhi came up with perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation. Um, Sanya, we know as perception, so that's obvious. Sanka, I was surprised in his note, he didn't mention that it has any relationship to Sankara, which to me, it seems like Sankara, the conditioned mental formations, is really what we're talking about. So I don't know that it has a relationship to Sankara, but I would imagine that it does. But it's basically, it's both papancha and the causes and result of papancha. Papancha, Sanya, Sanka the notions and perceptions that create papancha, that create this diffuse thought, this proliferation of thought. And he basically says if there's the way out of that is that if there is nothing to delight in, welcome and hold to, this is the end of that. The underlying tendency to views, doubt, conceit, for desire for being, for ignorance, resorting to weapons, quarrels, argument, false speech. There, here, evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. So it's basically, if you can end papancha, it's almost a complete list of all of unwholesome actions, right? There's aversion and conceit and craving and doubt and anger and false speech. And so we start to see how central the Buddha takes papancha to be to this creation of all of these kinds of unwholesome actions. It's really very central. But the Buddha says that and then basically turns around, goes into his hut and closes the door and the monks are like, you know, yeah, you know, it sounds really interesting, but, um, and so they wonder what can we do and so they decide to go see Mahakachana and uh, each, he's one of the foremost disciples of the Buddha and it said, if you've read this book, The Great Disciples of the Buddha, it's a great book that gives little bios of, of Ananda and Sariputra and Mahamogalana and Mahakasapa and Mahakachana. And each of them is foremost in a particular thing, some in psychic power, some in the Vinaya, some in uh, concentration. Mahakachana is foremost in taking a short teaching and expounding on it. So if you have a short teaching and you want to know what it means, you go to Mahakacha. So that's what they do. And again, this little, you know, um, sort of the human element, they go to Mahakacha and he basically says, you guys, you had the Buddha right in front of you, who, you know, is the source of all these teachings and the font of wisdom. And why didn't you ask him? And then they, you know, you can imagine they said, well, he just turned away or, you know, we didn't want to bother him or he looked tired or I don't know what happened, but they didn't. So. Mahakachana goes through and uh, explains it. And what's interesting in his 
exposition of Papanchas, he goes more into the sense doors and how they lead to creating uh, Papancha. You know, that the eye sees and the form that it sees and the feeling, the perception of that and the feeling tone based on that, that leads to Papancha. And then um, that when that ceases, that's how Papancha ends. Now, Bhikkhu Bodhi in talking about this says that's a little bit of an extreme teaching on how Papancha, if you have to wait till the cessation mode of, you know, no eye contact, no ear contact, yes, there would be no Papancha, but that's kind of an extreme, you know, uh, place to have to wait until we get to, to have Papancha ends. And even Bhikkhu Bodhi said, you know, there's many other ways that we uh, can end Papancha, and that's a little bit what we'll be talking about uh, this afternoon, is that if you track the sequence you know, it doesn't have to be a complete cessation of experience, but actually just bring the mindfulness to what's happening and especially to the perceptions and the feelings that arise. What uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu says in his commentary is that there are three, there are, the Buddha talks about Papancha a number of times in different suttas and there's actually three different maps to how Papancha has gotten created. So again, it's not like there's one way that it happens, or it always looks like this, that you can read if you go down to Access to Insight um, different ways. But in the sutta that we're talking about, there's contact, so at the eye door, or the ear door, etc. There's a feeling tone resultant. There's perception. And what also Bhikkhu Bodhi says that these two actually arise together. It's not like, again, it's linear. You know, the feeling and the perception are virtually simultaneous. You know, our recognition of something and the feeling tone in response to it. But then where papancha happens is when we start thinking about things. And especially as it goes on in the sutta to talk about um, the past and the future. You know, we, we perceive something, we have a reaction or a response to it, and then the whole uh, experience starts. And what's um, important is that what happens at this point, instead of just being a mindful observer or actually aware of what's happening, we get in this tumbling process where we become almost the victim of the thought. The thoughts are so strong and onward leading that we're kind of helpless in their energy and their pace. And this is where you can really know that Papantra is happening. We're kind of lost in you know, past and future, in aversion, in wanting, in the three different ways that... Um, Papancha mainly manifests, which the commentary say, and they kind of ex- extrapolate or simplify from the sutta that Papancha distorts perceptions through craving, through wanting, and com- through conceit, which as we know is comparing, and then through ditti, through views, you know, wrong view particularly. And, and we also need to recognize that not all thinking is Papancha that we can have clear thinking, we can have insight, we can have thoughts of generosity or kindness or equanimity or um, loving kindness or whatever. So it's not that every thought is papancha. Papancha always implies some kind of distortion, some kind of um, uh, misunderstanding of the way, way things are and actually prevents us from seeing the way things are. Those of you who are on the February retreat, Carol talked a lot about yata buta yanadasana, seeing things as they are, seeing things clearly the way they are. And this is the purpose of our practice of mindfulness. Can we see clearly? And so we can see clearly, and then Papancha isn't present, even be thinking and being quite creative and planning even. But Papancha, when it's manifesting, it is always involves some kind of distortion and some kind of, you could call it negativity or unskillfulness or unwholesomeness. There's some degree of lostness, of disconnection in the process that happens. And so um, this is what Mahakachana says. And then the bhikkhus go back to the Buddha and say, you know, this is what he says, what do you think? And the Buddha says, I couldn't have said it better. He did a great job. <laughs> and then here's our dear friend Ananda at the end, you know, just saying, what a, you know, this is a great teaching. Um, and he gives this wonderful analogy. At, this is on, in paragraph 22 towards the end. I don't know what it is in um, uh, Tanjeff's translation. 
Venerable sir, just as if a man exhausted by hunger and weakness came upon a honey bowl, and a honey bowl is apparently sweet. They still make in India where some kind of sweet is just kneaded through, you know, it's flour and this sweet liquid, and it's just every bite you have is the same. It's sweet, it's sweet, and it's intense sweet. Um, would have this delectable flavor. And so there's this sense again of this teaching on papancha, you know, they're calling it sweet, but I think it's just talking to how, um, I don't know, relevant it is that, that to really understand it really goes to the heart of our practice and to wisdom because otherwise we're just lost in our conceptualizing. And so the Buddha says, please call this the Honey Bowl Sutta. It's, it's got the sweetness of the Dharma all through it. So... That was just a a very quick overview of what was happening in the sutta. As I said, there's the three, the commentaries say three main areas that Papancha gets formed around or creates. And it's interesting, it both forms and is created by uh, craving and comparing and views. But in the commentaries, they also say the three Vipassana insights or the three characteristics act to overcome those tendencies. So anicca, the contemplation of impermanence or the insight into impermanence, uh, tends to overcome the tendency to conceit, to comparing. The insight into dukkha, into suffering, is it compensates or um, is the antidote, uproots the tendency to tanha or craving. And the insight into not-self, anatta, uproots ditti or wrong view. So again, Papancha is folded back into the center of our practice, which is opening to the three characteristics. And a clear seeing of the three characteristics is a direct way to uproot the tendency to Papancha and proliferating thinking. So this is partly why when James suggested that doing this sutra, I just love the idea because it's got all of these different elements and it's so central to our mindfulness practice, yet... It's got a depth to it that we could really continue to examine and practice with endlessly because the mind will do this. You know, it'll take something up and proliferate around it. It's, it's what we tend to do. So that was a quick overview of yeah. what was going on in the sutta. So... Is this on? Is this on? Yeah. So... Um, I'll just talk a little bit uh, in a practical, uh, not so theoretical way. We could explore it together. Um, how how this works and 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 how we can be free of it. I, I think of I gave a talk uh, earlier this year, my Berkeley group, and uh, I, I talked of uh, I gave it the title, "The Source of Our Confusion." And the way out. When you you sit down to meditate, something that becomes obvious very early on is how we get lost in thought. It's amazing that that happens, and that we are mostly living in a dream world, living in our stories. Sometimes I think it didn't have to be that way, but the mind is just this thinking machine that likes to create stories. And often the stories that it creates are not the ones that inspire and uplift the heart, but are more involved in, oh, what's going to make me happy? Or what do I not like? Or... How am I blowing it? Or what are they doing that's annoying me? Or that can make this a better moment. Most of them are referring to me in one way or another. What I want, what will make me happy, what I don't want, what, how, and how I'm not enough or how I could be better or whatever. And they pretty much refer back to moi here. And that is really the heart of how we keep on spinning our wheels by 
believing our thoughts that most, as Sally said, not all thoughts are bad. Lots of thoughts are wonderful. But the ones that contract and confuse us, um, not only do they pop up, but we then embellish them and proliferate, which is the, the word that I love for papancha, that they just kind of build on each other. It's one thing to have a thought that's a troublesome thought. It's a whole other when you make a galaxy, a world, out of whatever story you're creating. And as the, the, the discourse says, the Buddha said, oh, you want to stop all war and conflict and, and all problems in the world? Uh, then don't get caught in this proliferation of thought. You want to stop the proliferation of thought? Well, ideally, if you don't have, uh, if, you're, if you're not caught in your perceptions or ideas, oh, you want to stop your ideas? Oh, then if you don't have, a, if you don't have contact or, or, or pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, that'll stop that. But like Sally is saying, it's, you can't just stop that process, but if you see how the mind is creating this world, each time you see it, you're free. And the interesting thing, and this is, like I, I said, I just came from sitting with Utejaniya, in, in sitting with him, it underscores something that you've probably been hearing your whole dharma meditation career. Um, and um, that is if you don't take your thoughts to be real, if you don't identify with your thoughts, then you're not going to be bothered by them. It's not that we're trying to stop thinking. If you think the idea in meditation is to stop thinking and to have a blank mind, ah, finally, mind clear, free. I used to think when I, would start, when I was starting to meditate that if I was doing it right, there'd be like this giant vacuum cleaner that would just come and suck everything out. That's not going to happen, you know, uh, unless, you know, you have a moment of cessation of consciousness, in which case, you know, congratulations, and it, it will soon pick up again. So you're not trying, or a stroke, yeah, <laughs> or you're, you're brain dead, basically, you know, if you're in a coma, you know, if you're comatose, but this is not about getting rid of any thought. And so the problem often comes in in our practice when we have this idea, less thought is better, and if I only weren't thinking, I wouldn't have a problem right now. And what that does is not only not be realistic, it puts pressure on ourselves that then we get into this whole papancha about how we're not doing it right. So one of the key elements that I loved about Utejaniya was the fact that you're not trying... It's so clear, he keeps on saying it again and again. He talks about right view. You don't have to get rid of anything. You don't have to... Thinking is just a natural process. And if you can see your thoughts without taking ownership of them... There's freedom. There's an awareness, there's thinking, and then there's an awareness that knows, oh, thinking is happening now. You know, or, oh, freaking out is happening right now. You know, oh, getting completely lost in you know, third grade is happening right now. In the moment that you see it, oh, there's an awareness that knows that, then there's no problem at all. He keeps on talking about it. It's all just a natural process. So one thing to keep in mind, how do you react when you realize that you've been lost in thought in your mind? If there's any kind of judgment or idea that you're not doing it good enough, 
then you've just created a whole other level of papancha. You know, the second dart is sometimes is said, no, I'm thinking, and now, God, I'm such a lousy meditator. I just want to read to you a little passage from, uh, from one of his books that I love that might give you a, a whole different take on this. A yogi who's always watching the mind will notice each time that unwholesome mental states arise. It may seem as if there is a good deal of these states happening. If the, if the yogi views what is happening with the wrong attitude, that these are personally happening to him, he'll become distressed. When awareness and wisdom grow, with the right attitude working in the background, this yogi may even feel joyful interest in recognizing these states as they are. Here's an analogy. If a policeman were able to catch the thief every time he stole something, this policeman would be promoted up the ranks. On the other hand, a demotion might be headed his way if the policeman kept missing the thief. Here, the thief is always stealing something. Are you going to experience objects with defilements whenever they arise? Or are you going to are you going to experience objects, that is, stuff that comes through the mind, with defilements whenever they arise, that is, with aversion or wanting them to be different or identifying? Or are you going to observe them with wisdom? Pay attention with awareness and wisdom. Otherwise, defilements will have already taken over the experience. So the beauty is when you wake up from your dream, instead of being frustrated that you've been lost, to feel great that you've seen it. Oh, great. It's to, and as far as not just he's concerned, but, anyone's, uh, but any uh, meditation with wisdom is concerned, hearing a sound is no better than seeing that you've been lost in confusion. Feeling the breath is no holier or no better than seeing that you've gotten into this tremendous ball of worry or fear. They are equally, they're equal objects. One is just as good as another because they're just, the impersonality of the thing is clear when you see Oh, it's just the mind doing its thing. Oh, it's just the body doing its thing. And you don't have to get into the whole papancha around the fact that you've gotten lost. And it happens so quickly. With contact, we generally, we have pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling. And then we have perception. Oh, that's this And with that perception, we have these thoughts and they proliferate into papancha. Just as a little experiment, I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. And I'm going to say a few words. And just notice how your mind, what happens in your mind. High school. High school. You can notice images, associations, thoughts, feelings in the body, stories. Barack Obama. Republicans, Democrats, Mom, Dad, 
climate change. Relationships. Family. Loneliness. Love. Dharma. Trouble. Kindness. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Was it possible to hear those words without having them give rise to images or stories? This is, I don't know if any, anybody not have any response or reaction, internal reaction, when you hear any of those. Complete non sequiturs plopped out of thin air into your mind, and you could probably sense a story arising out of each one. Right? Well, if that's happening just in this very sterile, unstimulating environment, imagine what happens when you're in the middle of a conversation and you get an energy hit coming back to you or you're, you're being observed or sense you're being observed by somebody else or there's any kind of contraction in the mind. Because when there's contraction in the mind what happens is that gives rise, it seems to me, to even more papancha. Because when the mind is spacious, you know on retreat when, you're spa- when there's a spaciousness in the mind and you might have a thought arise and you say, oh, it's just a thought, you know, I don't have to go there. It's so much harder in life when you're stressed, busy, contracted, whatever, and then you keep on replaying a tape that you know isn't serving you and you keep on hitting that replay button and there's pampancha, you know, cruel and unusual unusual punishment that we do to ourselves that who's to blame? Are you to blame? Can you say, come on, get off it. Stop it already. Some more pampancha, of course. Or if you see, oh, this is just a natural process. This is what minds do. There's contact, there's an image, there's a memory, and there's a response, and there's a whole story that we get swept up by if we're not clear enough to see. So that's why the the meditation gives enough space and clarity to see, oh, this is just a story in the mind. And using it as a meditation, like, uh, like his um, uh, Utejaniya's analogy, to feel great when you see the story. To really see, oh, it's like, oh, I saw it. Not with judgment, but you see, it's just habits. It's just a habit in the mind. There's incredible freedom that comes from that that also not only is freeing from getting caught in the, in the story, but is, is really associated with deep compassion that you don't know any better. It's like, you know, oh, yes, dear, you're, you're trying so hard to, to, to notice. You just got lost. 
you know, like you would to any little kid who got lost in their own, their own nightmare or, or, or tantrum or whatever. They just, they just got lost. It's okay, dear. And with that compassion for this, the way we create our own nightmares and demons and, and, and confusion, there's tremendous compassion for the predicament that we're all in. It's just part of the package of what it means to have a mind and, to, and the possibility of seeing through it so you don't have to get swept away or caught in it. So maybe I'll just stop here. And Any, any comments before we, um, we do a little bit of practicing? Alicia? aware that thoughts are present or that I'm in a story there's a lot of other stuff going on that makes it a little challenging for me to, to kind of 